Hi, and welcome to Book Nation. I am Chris Stevens. And I am Nell Coakley. Arr. 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 <laughs> Arr. Guess what we're talking about today? We're talking about pirates. Ooh, who doesn't love pirates? What is it about pirates? There's something the about romanticism pirates. of pirates. They really do romanticize them. And as you will learn later in the show. They're not romantic. There's nothing romantic about them. No. And, and they're at sea for like ever hours, you know, hours, yeah. They're at sea for like, you know, hundreds of days. So I'm thinking they probably don't bathe much. Nobody brushed their teeth They're raggedy. Then. They're raggedy. Yeah, there's not a lot romantic about pirates, no. really. I mean, if you, look at, if you look at Johnny Depp in uh, Pirates of the Caribbean... That's what they look like. Probably smell like. It's not Orlando Bloom. No, it's not. It's not. No, you're wrong. It's not. It's not. Who did I just hear that Orlando Bloom was marrying, which surprised me? Anyway, that's neither here nor there. It's neither here nor there. Um, so um, today, we're, we're really, um, we're thrilled, thrilled to uh, have Eric J. Dolan, who just wrote, and it's out, been out for a little while, called uh, Black Flags, Blue Waters, and it's all about pirating in um, around America and the golden age on off the coast of the U.S. around colonial times. Yeah, and a lot of it is in our area, which is what makes it really sort of fun and, and interesting. Um, yeah, I like the title, Black Flags, Blue Water. I don't know why, I just like that title. Because it kind of, it's evocative. Yeah. You know, you obviously you can see the blue water and you can see the black flag. You can see that all in your mind. The whole skull and crossbones thing. So Chris and I decided that, you know, we always do book news. Mm-hmm. And we thought that we would find some interesting book news that has to do with pirates. And what did you find? I found a really interesting, um, interesting thing about actually Bluebeard, uh, Bluebeard Blackbeard, um, whose real name was Edward Teach or Tetch. And I think we can ask... Eric, exactly. Yeah, how? Because that. one of the one of the chapters at the end of Eric's book uh, deals with Blackbeard, and the fact that Blackbeard's ship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, ran aground in North Carolina, and it's really interesting because they have actually found that that boat and they've been renovating it and they've been going through it. Did and they find that recently? I feel like I'm like, how do I not know this? That's, I don't know because it's really cool. It is really cool, and one of the things that they found on board was that. Um, they found like 16 little fragments of paper which they think belong to this book. So they, they, they basically spent a lot of time, like months, they were months researching like what is this. It was all stuffed into a cannon, which I guess we could, have, we could talk to Eric about, but they used to stuff their cannons with all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Um, and they found this book by Captain Edward Cook called A Voyage to the South Sea and Round the World, performed in the years 1708 through like 1711. Wow. And what they think is that, you know, that, yeah, they might have stuffed this in the canon, but they also think that, you know, there were pirates reading. So these guys were sitting around. Now, I, I know Eric's probably going to tell us that's not true, but I sort of like the idea of Blackbeard like the sitting in his cabin with a nice... Well, it's not like they had serious radio. I mean, you know, they spent no. all this time at sea, but they, they didn't... Had- have a lot to do, um, and they and it's known that they when they raided all these all these ships that you know books were valuable. Sure, they were of value. They didn't they publish took, them like they did today. Yeah. So they took it. Now the interesting about this book is that um, it talks about the rescue of a guy named Alexander Selkirk, 
uh, in the South Pacific where he was marooned for four years. So he, it was actually the Castaway. inspiration for Robinson Crusoe. <gasps> so cool. So in this, like in, when the book was written in like 1719. So it's kind of, I, I just sort of like love the idea of him like snuggled up in his cabin. And I think at least when it came to like the captains and whatnot. I mean, I, I would have to think that they were fairly educated because you got to run a ship. You're running a lot of people. You're talking supplies. You're talking money. You're talking lots of stuff. So, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me that they could read. I, I yeah, I have no doubt that. They, and like I said, lots of boring time at sea. I really, uh, I could this. see them reading. I, I, when, when I was reading this article, there was this historian. His name is Angus Constum. It's so hilarious because he's like, it, you know, you never really find things like books because books they just, de- you know, they decay really sure. quickly over the years. But he's sort of like, I really love this idea. And then he says, you know, the book lover in me hates the fact that the pirates might have torn out pages from a book in order to light their guns. <laughs> <laughs> Which they probably did too, <laughs> I'm sure. Really funny. But, you know, you really never know. Like, you know, they really were, um, you know, they had navigation books. Sure. They had all kinds of... I love, and not to give anything away, because you'll hear about it later too, but I love, in in Eric's book, he has, it was kind of like a, it was like a a DIY for how to um, light a cannon, you know, how to actually use a cannon. And I I love... Yeah, they had all kinds of instruction manuals. Like, I guess if you were a young pirate or a new pirate, didn't didn't know know how to light that cannon up, this guy, this tells you what to do. I that's hilarious. Although I think the idea of doing that, like, as you're sort of in the middle of it, like, how do I light the cannon? Here's yeah. the book. <laughs> you might want to practice that you before you, that before before you get in the middle of a firefight. <laughs> so I guess we want to really ask Eric about, you know, sometime during this, the, this podcast about what he thinks about that, that book find. I know he's yeah. going to ruin my little fantasy. Yeah. He probably will. He'll pay, he, he strikes me to be much more practical. <laughs> but you never know. <clears throat> Excuse me. You never know. So, um, so... What else do we know? What else do we have for, for pirates? Um, you mean what else were, mm. they, were they sort of talking about yeah. in this article? Um, you know, it says that, you know, it was very common for, um, you know, pirates to sort of, again, have navigational things, have these DIY manuals. I love that. I know. Um, and, you know, they would read about, like, other these other adventures, these other things that were sort of happening in the world. And, and not all of them were literate, obviously, no. but, you know, they could read. That's the thing is you sort of, they're not just sort of these illiterate people running around, and I'm sure they were, but they're, some of them, you know, could really read and they weren't sort of just sitting around on deck, drink, <laughs> drunk all the time. Drinking rum, saying yo, ho, ho. Right, exactly. <laughs> so they had these, so they did have books. And I think that that's sort of like this really interesting thing. And I hope that, um, you know, I, I would love like to go down to like the Carolinas and see this Queen of Revenge, just the yeah. idea of this, this. It would be fascinating, I would think. What did a that, slice right? of history that is. How crazy. They're, they're restoring it. They're trying I to know. restore it. And so much of it is still around, which is, when you think about like how long ago that was, that's pretty amazing. It's fascinating. It's awesome. I love it when they find things like that. I feel like the, I feel like the sea is really sort of that last uncharted bastion of, I don't know, you know, people, so many people are so 
want to go into space and see what's out there, but there's so much. There's so much in the seas. In the seas, in the ocean, and it's just a whole other world down there. It'd be awesome. So what you got about pirates? So I got I got nothing. I was relying completely on you. I got my one pirate. No, I watch pirate movies. I don't remember reading a lot of pirate books when I was a kid. Actually, I don't know that I read any, but I did watch the Errol Flynn movies. I love She's Errol all about Flynn. Errol Flynn. I like Errol Flynn. Errol Flynn. I Captain did Blood. Captain Blood, yep. I watched those. The Buccaneer. What else? And I'm trying to think there were... Were there other pirate movies? Well, you know, Johnny Depp, of course. And the horrible one we were just talking, I was just discussing Cut with a colleague Island. of mine, Cutthroat Island, with Gina Davis and Matthew Modine. <laughs> but there's not a lot of female, there are a couple of well-known female pirates. Two. But there's, yeah, two. But there aren't a lot, there weren't a lot of female pi- um, pirates. So, you know, I got to give Gina Davis a props. At least she tried to That'd be really one. cool if somebody could write a book about female pirates. Female pirates. I'm sure somebody's written Maybe one. Maybe make but- Eric do it. Yeah. Oh, we'll bring that up. So yes. So we'll 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 have to um, we'll have to ask him about that and books and everything else. Um, so we're going to take a quick break and then we'll, we we will, will be right back with Eric J Dolan. Awesome. And we are back with our uh, Book Nation and our very special guest, Eric J. Dolan, who has written Black Flags, Blue Waters, The Epic History of America's Most Notorious Pirates. Eric, welcome to our show. Thanks for having me on. Um, It's great to have you here. So who who doesn't love pirates? Uh, I want to be a pirate. (laughs) Pirates are very... um, In? Yeah. They're a little romantic, which they probably should not be. Right. Um, especially if you were at Eric's book. Yeah, I was just yes. going to say, judging from some of the tales you tell us, they should not be. Tell us, um, give us a rundown. Tell us, tell us about your book. And what you well, know. it's about the golden age of piracy, which runs from the late 1600s to the mid-1720s. And it's the time in history when there was the greatest explosion of piracy the world has ever known. And the reason I focused on it is because the colonies, the American colonies, were intimately involved in this era. And most of my books have an American theme. And I wanted to take a slice at the golden age of piracy, just focusing on those pirates that either came from the American Mm -hmm. colonies or attacked ships along Colonial shores, and that was so cool. Like I never realized. I think when most people think pirates, you think pirates of the Caribbean or whatever. (laughs) But you don't really think about about that, about the American colonies and their involvement. That's what I found so fascinating about your book was like just how. They were, in the very beginning, they were like, yes, the more pirates, the better. We're filling our pockets. Look at how our colony is thriving. Well, the one thing, the only reason I knew, uh, you know, I know one pirate, that's it. I know of is because I went to school at the University of Tampa. Oh, and I don't know if you know. The Buccaneers. The Buccaneers. And they they basically celebrate Jose Gaspar. Gaspar. Um, they have Gasparilla Day. And they celeb- one of the reasons why Tampa celebrates him is because, like you said, he would bring money into the community. Mm-hmm. And he would he was not a nice person. He would rape and pillage and steal <laughs> yeah. up and down the Florida coastline. But for some reason, he spared Tampa. He liked hmm. Tampa. And so Tampa would, like, hold a parade in his honor. They still do it. They still have yeah. this gorilla day. Hey, um, Eric, would you... <laughs> which I thought was kind of hilarious. I thought one of the things that was really interesting, too, was that you made a real distinction between what what's a pirate, what's a privateer, what's a buccaneer. Because right. I think most people would say, well, they're all kind of the same thing. And I was hoping that maybe you could tell our listeners... You know, what's the distinction? Like, what's the difference sure. between one and the other so that, you know, people have a better idea? 
Sure. A uh, pirate is basically the enemy of all mankind. They will <laughs> they will attack any okay. <laughs> anybody to to get some uh, riches. A privateer is often called it's like a licensed pirate. During times of war, a country can give a letter of mark to a merchant ship, an armed merchant ship, giving them the legal right to go out and attack the enemy's ships and bring them in and profit by that. So it's sort of a way of amplifying the power of your navy uh, during times of war. But when the war is over, when they sign the peace treaty, all the letters of mark get withdrawn and you're no longer able to be a privateer. You're unemployed, basically. Unemployed. unemployed Yeah, and a lot of of privateers slip into uh, piracy. Buccaneers are basically pirates that operated in the Caribbean. They started off uh, by curing meat in Hispaniola and at a bucan, that's how the name buccaneer came apart uh, came about because they would cure meat over a fire on a wooden frame called a bucan. So they were called bucaneers or buccaneers by the English, yeah, and they right, sold right, they right, sold right, meat. Cool. They sold meat to passing ships. Well, the Spanish kept attacking them, so they finally decided, forget this selling meat to these people. We're going to steal from them. And and they became buccaneers. So buccaneers and pirates are sort of the the same thing, just a different term. I thought the origin was so interesting. Buccaneers are a little more domestic, maybe. A little more domestic. (laughs) (laughs) They were dragged into it. (laughs) That is interesting. So how did you get interested in this? I know I noticed that this is, what, your seventh book, I think, that sort of focuses in some way on water. So clearly yeah, I, that is your... I, I, uh, yeah, probably. I don't, I don't know. I've written 13 okay. books. Uh, okay. a, a lot of them have a connection to water. Okay. It's not, there's not a grand scheme, although I do love the ocean, and I live in Marblehead, and I, I, oh. I, I always love reading about uh, ocean tales. I actually wanted to be Jacques Cousteau when I grew up, and I, oh, I have a marine biology background, okay. and I, so I know a lot about the ocean. Not a lot about pirates. In fact, I knew nothing about pirates before I started the book, but the way that I got interested in it is I decided to pitch a couple of book ideas to my two teenage kids. I love that. Ah. And uh, they, when I mentioned the possibility of writing about pirates, okay. they just said, that's it, Dad. You have to write about pirates. And, of course, I got excited. Were they thinking they were going to meet Johnny Depp or something? Yeah, there? well, probably. That's what they knew about <laughs> yeah. pirates. I was going to say it must have been right around that time. So. Yeah. yeah, so, and they, uh, you know, I thought this is a good sign because my kids, they were teenagers then. They're both, sure. they're both well, one's a teenager and one's in her early 20s and neither of them had read any of my books so I figured this is my one <laughs> my one big shot <laughs> it's kind of like it's kind of like movie stars that suddenly do kid movies as soon as they get as soon as they have kids because they want the kids to see their, their movies so, yeah. movies, right. so have they read the book have you my daughter movie? has read it oh, and she liked it my son he's a little uh, tougher of a nut to crack yeah. I, I think he'll read it when he's in his 40s or 50s maybe when he, <laughs> when he gets interested in I history think, man I should have been better I told, this was good. <laughs> I told Eric this earlier. I mean, I think a lot of people go into reading some history books with, you know, oh, my God, this is going to be dry. This is yeah. like I'm sitting oh, in totally. class. Oh, my yep. God. But what I loved about this book was it was so easy to – maybe it was the subject matter, but it was so easy to read. It was very yeah. – uh, it flowed really well, and I thought you just told the story really great. And I love the way you ended it with, you know, Sam Bellamy <laughs> and Blackbeard. Oh, yeah. come on. The two – Probably the two most well-known pirates in the world. Certainly in this area, yeah. Now, did Black you have Beard. a favorite? Did you when you were writing it? That was, yeah. 
a favorite. That that's sort of the wrong word to well, use because yeah. they're all miserable. Yeah, guys. I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I, I had some that I thought were more fascinating than others. Okay, that's and, a better word. And, 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 and this is my. This is going to give you an insight into my my morbid, you know, sadistic personality. I suppose there's one pirate named Edward Lowe, who he was a psychopath, and he just loved to torture and kill his victims. His signature move is cutting off people's ears and lips and roasting them, and then forcing them to eat. And the reason I found him interesting is not because I, I I find that. Good behavior, I find it (laughs) abhorrent. But there's a lot of information on Edward Lowe because he came very late in the 1720s. And there were a lot of newspapers by that time. So there were a lot of people writing about him. So you can put together a pretty good portrait. Unfortunately, the portrait that you put together of this guy is horrific. And it was uh, disturbing. Yeah, he, he was <laughs> he was really people. and he came out of Boston and he had a, he was married in Boston. He had a child. Well, there you go. <laughs> and uh, he went off to become a pirate, and he apparently always felt bad about leaving his daughter behind. Although one of the problems about writing about pirates is they don't sit down and write their memoirs. Yeah, very they often. Keep like a captain. No, no. no. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, it's not Star Trek woman. It's, no, both. <laughs> Boat captains kept logs just like oh, sure. Star Trek. Or yes, whaling captains. You would, yeah, but not, I'm sure pirates were like, oh, today we took this boat. Oh, that's what right. I'm saying. They <laughs> didn't, they didn't, yeah, that. they didn't keep a captain's log. I'm sure they did not keep a record. No, no very, very, <laughs> a lot of them probably couldn't even write. Yeah, so. that's true. So it's mostly tales that are handed down. Is that where the well, lore comes uh, from? Or? Uh, not quite. There are a lot of okay. there are a lot of trials. There are a lot oh, of pirates. True. There are scores okay. of pirates that were hung, and many of them were captured. And wow. before during the trial. Uh, there were depositions. So a lot of pirates got questioned and their extensive answers about what they did, not so much why they did it. track that stuff down? I mean, I'm sure you must have read tons of this for research. It's so so easy nowadays with the Internet. I have to tell you that there are so many books and articles and things that have been digitized Digitized by by newspapers, by archives, by historical societies. So essentially there are probably seven or eight really good pirate trials. Every single one of them I can get the printed – Booklet that came out in 1702 wow. or 1712 wow. that right there online, is fascinating. and you can just read it. Also, there have okay. been books. There's a great book that came out in the late 80s. This scholar basically put out a three-volume book. It's probably about 2,000 pages altogether, and he transcribed every single pirate trial there ever was during oh the Golden God. Age, wow. plus other documents like key okay. newspaper articles. Yep. So it's like an embarrassment of riches. I mean, you'd always want more. I'd like sure. to have more of the pirate's voice. But you get some of it through transcripts and depositions. You get some of it through the people that the pirates captured, and then they went back home, and they told everybody about what happened. And then there are a couple of people who were captured by pirates who actually wrote their own memoirs, so okay. you get more of it there. And then in 1704 is when the Boston, you know, postboy started, when newspapers really started sure. in America. And you had the Hartford Current, the Boston newspapers, and so you, you started to have journalists like yourself who were writing the, about it. Should be like on the pirate beat. That would be awesome. <laughs> that would be awesome. pirate yeah. trial. <laughs> that would have been great. I thought what I thought was super interesting too was just the changing attitudes in the colonies. Like I, we yeah. said, at first they started with. You know, they, th- those those trials were a farce, a complete and utter farce. They were right. like, you paid somebody off. But then, you know, things really started to change. And when when do you when would you say, um, you know, that change really came? And 
it was really because of the English uh, king, wasn't it? He he basically the, the I'm not sure which king it was, but you probably know <laughs> who who put his foot down and said enough. Like we need some money, and the colonies are letting it all kind of go away. Yeah, well, it's all about the money. So when pirates are benefiting you and they're bringing money into the colonies, you love them. They're also, a lot of them were related to the people who lived in the colonies. And then uh, King James, King George, there are different kings, Queen Anne, uh, they all got involved in pirate fighting one way or the other. But it didn't really become effective until the very end of the 1600s when they sort of closed down the Red Sea pirate trade. It's not really a trade, but the the pirates that were going into the Red Sea and plundering Mughal ships and bringing back all these riches to the American colonies, they really, uh, London was so upset that they were digging into the valuable East India trade that they finally pulled out all the stops and they sort of put an end to that form of piracy. But then after the war of the Spanish succession, it came roaring back. But this was a different kind of piracy because it was based in the Caribbean. They would come up the coast. They would plunder American ships. But the big difference is before they were plundering these infidels halfway around the world, mm-hmm. bringing treasure back. Sure. And these good, it doesn't matter if it's someone else. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter if it's someone else. Yeah. But then in the 17-teens and 1720s, all of a sudden, pirates were attacking American, American colonists and ships. And when they're taking from your bottom line, you don't like them. Yeah. I mean, just like today's history, I'm sure a lot of your articles, if you follow the money and you figure yeah. out yeah. who's benefiting and who's it's not. It's always the money. It's always the money. So, <laughs> And it was certainly back then. I mean, people are, uh, a lot of sins can be hidden if you're paid off. <laughs> Very true. What are, um, what are some of the myths that you came across or do you, that you think people have about pirates that are just, like you said, like... You know, people romantic. They're not romantic. <laughs> yeah, people do. People They're not romantic. Or, They're not, you know, whatever. So, uh, very few of them, except for the ones in before 1700, really became rich. Okay. The, none of them okay. forced anybody to walk the plank. Oh, man. There was no burying of treasure <laughs> that we know of. Really? No, 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 no X marks the spot. No X marks the spot. No maps that came down to us in time. Wow. And so, uh, well, they, they also, another myth that I think. I, that's very persistent is that somehow pirates were uh, democratic in the sense of being political philosophers and they wanted to change society. They were democratic. A lot of their rules were democratic. They voted their captain in and out. And the articles they split that they money, came the articles, with, the pirate code. Yeah. But that was just to maintain a floating society. They were not the precursors of the American Revolution. No, People fighting so. for democracy <laughs> and fairness yeah. and freedom. They just they wanted, wanted their fair share. Yeah. They wanted their money. But I thought like the article, some of the example of the articles that you gave were like pretty ahead of their time like oh yeah captain oh yeah it was definitely it was definitely unique it was very Uh, unique uh, but that doesn't mean that they they weren't sitting around plotting how do we overthrow the the king and the queen or how do we start our own society somewhere did any of those articles surprise you did did any of them make you go what like Oh, there was one article, uh, one pirate set, set of pirate articles had a rule in there that all the people playing music, apparently they had some musicians on board, had to stop playing at 8 o'clock at night. There was another article Did where... they need their sleep? They need their sleep. <laughs> a good pirate needs to plunder early. They need to sleep. There was another article that said that if a prudent woman ever comes on board and you mess with her, you will be beaten, you know, you'll be in, okay. in trouble. So they had, some of them, I guess, were chivalrous. They didn't have too many 
many women on board. They would find women no, on, so. you know, on land yeah. in uh, in Port Royal and Tortuga and in Madagascar. So they did have sex every once in a while with maybe willing or unwilling people. Uh, they weren't quite like Johnny Depp, the suave yeah. and sophisticated. Although he's not very suave. <laughs> but, well, although they did. They they did dress like Johnny Depp very often. If they plundered they? a ship, oh sure. If they plundered a ship, and there was a lot of nice clothes on board, a lot of nice cloth, jewels, they did would they steal get, them. Did they get anything right in those movies? Because I know you you mentioned the pirate enclaves on Tortuga and Port Royal where those ships were, and I'm like, hey, like just like in the in the beginning of the first movie. Yeah, some of it's right. I mean, there were seedy areas, there was a lot of prostitution. I'm not sure how. I don't remember. I remember seeing Pirates of the Caribbean a long time ago. So I'm not sure and how in well. The follow-ups, there, there's the, the, a the, the, well. There's also the old Errol Flynn movies too, which I love. Though. Oh yeah, no, no, that. Errol Flynn's yeah. total. First of all, I mean, maybe I some of them were as good-looking as Errol Flynn. Yeah, no. But I don't think they were as suave and had a <laughs> no. glint in their the eyes. The gentleman pirate. The gentleman the pirate. Yeah, I mean, guy, a, yes. a lot of a lot of pirates, the way they're depicted in Hollywood, you know, they have a bad side. They'll kill a few people now and then, but they all seem to have a. A heart of gold and oh, a woman in every charming. port. They're yeah. very charming, or yeah. they're fighting for a good cause, and that's great. I love I love Hollywood movies, but if you want to get the real history <laughs> no. of pirates, I wouldn't just rely on them. So where did you so so your your kids suggest you write a book about pirates, and this is a great idea. Where do you start? How do you even how do you even start to? Research he watched a like lot that? of pirate <laughs> movies. <laughs> Now, the way that I do I'm working on a book right now on hurricanes, which is even really? more, uh, more uh, you know, difficult to get my arms around than yeah, Pirates was. I've done some research on, like, the Hurricane of 36 that cut up through New England. 38. 38. Yeah. Oh, he knows. I know. I <laughs> love those. I love that story. Yeah. That is a fascinating story. We'll yeah. come back when you write, do that book. Uh, okay. I'd love to talk about that. <laughs> but the way I do any of these books, because almost all the books I've written are on topics I don't know a lot about. So the first thing that I do when I'm thinking about writing a book is I go get the classics in the field. Oh, okay. And I just read a bunch. So I went out and I read a bunch of books and articles that gave me sort of an overview of what other people have been saying about pirates. And then there are a thousand leads that come off of that, and you have to okay. decide which ones to follow. Because as I said, there's more information than I can possibly consume and use. I could be working on this book for 10 years, but sure. I want to finish a book every two years or so. So I have to make a lot of choices, both about who to include, which pirates to talk about, what subjects to bring up, and also how far to go into the literature. Because I literally, you think about yeah, it, pirates, you must be able to there are really thousands of books, yeah. thousands of articles, newspaper articles, all so sorts of things. Did you find yourself getting, you know, getting off in, in areas and then going, wait a minute, I'm not even really going to write about this. I need to yeah. pull back. And yeah, occasionally. Not, not as much. What I've found is over time I've gotten better sure. at I'm deciding what to focus yeah. on. Uh, I just had a problem the other day. I was working on, I just finished the chapter on the hurricane of 1938. And there are a lot of different avenues you can go down. And I'm, I was sitting in front of my computer looking at this paragraph I had just written, which I liked, but it didn't quite fit in. And I finally said, you know, and I need to say this more often to myself, I said, this is my book. I get to decide what to include. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to include this. It's, that doesn't it's, happen it's, in newspapers. It's, 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 it's interesting, but I but think the reader is going to get, it's going to yeah. sort of be, oh, well, why is he, it's a little bit too much information. Yeah. It was interesting to me. So, but I have to make a thousand decisions. Like we that call that having time. a notebook dump. Having <laughs> yeah. a notebook dump. Well, that's when you dump, like you, you talk to somebody for a long time and then you feel obligated to put every Everything single fact yeah. that you dump your whole notebook into the story. 
Yeah. You, you have a good editor, <laughs> and then eventually, like you know, <laughs> and you do. You have to. You have to ask yourself self a question and go. All right, nobody's gonna you know. Self edit. If I don't put this in, right. nobody's gonna know. Yeah. 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 It's interesting. It, it, it is. It's it's funny. It may it sounds sort of silly, but. I don't say that to myself enough. I no, mean, I, I'm yeah. still pretty good at doing it. I, I've gotten better doing the research and sort of figuring out sure. the, the the course. Uh, but sometimes it's an organic process. Like when I wrote the proposal for this hurricane book, the chapter that I'm working on now looked very different from the one that I'm actually writing because I suddenly realized that the way I had envisioned it doesn't make sense for the reader. There'll be too many things that they're, I'm sort of skipping over and then I'm going to go to later. Okay. So I had to reorganize the whole do chapter. You outline, do, you, do you outline right. as oh, you yeah. go? Well, no, I outlined before, before. to get to get a to get a, a book proposed, to get a contract. I mean, I won't write a book, certainly with history. With fiction, people sometimes write the whole book and then try to sure. sell it. People that are more established don't. But for nonfiction, you can't write a book on spec. And I've been doing this long enough. I and mean, I've had, um, this is my fifth or sixth book with W.W. W. Norton okay. and Livewright. So I, you know, I want to advance. Part sure. of the, I want to live. I want to earn some money. You want to so, eat. <laughs> You're not just doing this for fun? No. He has teenagers. So, so, yeah. so to get that is I have to write a proposal. And my okay. proposal essentially is an annotated outline of how I view the book. And that's what my publisher looks at. And they decide, okay, yeah, there's a book here. We think Eric can write it. We're going to give you X dollars. Here's your advance. That's cool. Go off and write okay. it. So my proposals, the good news is the more experienced you are, the shorter your proposals get. My first proposal for a major publisher for Norton, my whaling book, Leviathan, my proposal yep. was 95 pages long. Wow, wow. So it was a very detailed proposal. For my last couple of books, including the Hurricane book and the Pirate book, my proposal was only about, I think, 12 to 15 pages, double-spaced. Okay. So they trust me now. <laughs> Basically, I've proven, sure. my, I've proven that I can write a book. Yeah. And that makes sense. And they, you know, they... How much of that proposal is just work finds its way into your book? A is lot. That, okay. A lot because I won't start a book in, unless I've written unless I've read enough to be convinced that I can write you it. You can do it. Okay. So I've got to be able to look at the proposal and say, yeah, this is a skeleton of a book. This makes logical sense. Each one of those chapters has enough meat or has enough stuff that I want to talk about that it'll make uh, a chapter. And sometimes there's too much stuff. I wrote this one chapter. It's called. Uh, what is it? Not hurricanes in the Sunshine State. I have a whole chapter in this this hurricane book about hurricanes that hit Florida, Florida. in the, oh 19, my God. the yeah. 1920s and 1930s. Wow. There were three major hurricanes okay. that are very important in history, and they're fascinating stories because so many people died and so many things yeah. went wrong, and so many people wrote down their accounts that I've got a whole chapter on that. Now, I'm so looking forward to this book. <laughs> well, well, normally a chapter... I know, I was like, pirates, pirates, pirates. <laughs> well, normally one of my chapters, I try to keep them under 12,000 okay. words. This chapter is now is 22,000 words. Ooh. So I'm going to have to cut it a bit, but I'm not going to cut it that much. You know, yeah. Again, it's my book. It's I, don't, exactly. I don't care if there's a long chapter. <laughs> that is what I sort of... Like when I was reading, when I was reading um, Black Flags, it was, I would, every night I would be like, I'm reading this chapter, and I'm going to give myself the time to read this chapter. And it was, it was, sometimes I was like, well, maybe I may just read the next chapter <laughs> and the next chapter. But I didn't feel like you were overwhelming, like, the, the reader, and, yeah. and it was a lot of information, yeah. but you were able to sort of just, you digest it in really simple bites. Um, mm. And I, I was really, like, sort of fascinated by how much pirates didn't make. 
But yeah, that is interesting. <laughs> you know, you know, ten. Which I suppose is why they stay in the business for so long. Well, they would, you know, they, they would die. think like yeah, ten thousand, you know, ten thousand pounds, and I was like, well, ten thousand pounds. Well, how is that a fortune? But you um, know, when you said the average sailor made like what twelve pounds a year? Yeah, and, that, and, and I'm thinking, uh, how much uh, is that? A twelve bucks. Guy. I mean, a captain of a a captain of a merchant ship in the late 1600s only made about seventy-two pounds, British pounds, a year. So. When you think that a lot of those pirates retired with fifteen hundred pounds, that was a pretty good chunk yeah. of money in one shot. I mean, that's that's a lot of money, and no taxes. Yeah. <laughs> you, so you just said like you self-edit. You're uh, trying to edit stuff out. What, what did you edit out of this? Was there was there anything that you said you look back now and go, oh, I wish I'd included that, or or was there something interesting that you? Gee, I, I should have looked back at my. my <laughs> I have all my chapters on the. On the the computer, not not a lot that I cut out. I know I cut out some things, but again, it's an evolutionary process. I'm getting better at writing books the older I get. I mean, the more experience. My background's not writing, so I had to learn a lot on the fly. And for my whaling book, for this will give you an example. One of the first books, it was my sixth or seventh book, but all the other books had been for smaller publishers like Smithsonian or University of Massachusetts Mm -hmm. Press. For a major trade publisher like Norton, it was sort of a different ballgame. And my contract said I was going to hand in a 150 to 175,000 word manuscript, which is a lot longer than this book, the pirate book. (laughs) I handed in 170-something thousand words. My editor read it he loved it. He said, you got to cut out 30,000 words. And I said, why did you tell me yeah. to write? <laughs> and he goes, well, it's just whatever. And actually, cutting out 30,000 words was really easy. It took me a week. As we tell all our writers, it's easier to take out if you're an editor than it is to put back in. Right. So yeah. just write the – because yeah. kids, kids coming out of college always says, interns, well, how long should I make it? Yeah. Right. How many words? How many – how much right. – and you just say you got to write the story for what it's worth. That's what right. you're saying. Right, right. <laughs> Until you think it's done, and right? then yeah. you know. and then an editor yeah. will go back, I can, and then we'll tear it apart. We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll work on that with you. So, but but for this book, I know I cut out some things, but I guess I'm <laughs> I'm getting leaner in my writing style. Anything fun you want to share that you cut out or a tidbit that didn't make it in? Yeah, I mean, like we always, when again doing stories, doing news stories, there's always some funny side story or something we come across that has no space in the story. It shouldn't be put in. It shouldn't, or should, maybe shouldn't <laughs> be put in the story. But uh, but you know, those are the ones we talk about when we get together. Oh, one of the things I cut out. I'm not sure this is that fun. Is Edgar Allan Poe wrote a book called the a little short story. It became published as a book. It's only like 100 pages. Called the Gold Bug. And it's all about Captain William Kidd and his treasure. And I wrote two or three pages. I just thought it was fascinating. I read the book, and I said, this is really neat because this is part and parcel of the mythology about pirates burying their treasure. And it was a great story anyway. So I wrote two pages about that in the epilogue, and my editor looked at it and said, I take this out. And I think she was right. And and I ended okay. up taking that out. So you had one. like I know you had like I think a paragraph because I remember yeah. you were like Captain <laughs> yeah. Kidd and you should try to read the book. <laughs> <laughs> it was like okay. So so I yeah, um, but there aren't too many other things. I guess I'm kind of boring now. I'm a f- more efficient writer. There's no hey, nothing no, salacious. Not boring. There's nothing it's salacious <laughs> that I that I took out that I know of. <laughs> Tracking down some of the artwork must have been interesting too. Again, I, I hate to be a 
well, not hate because uh, a lot of people are big fans of the internet, and so am I. But I've got to tell you that writing a book, when I started writing you know, 15, 20 years ago, my first book, uh, when I had a full-time job, I've only been a full-time writer since 2007, um, it was so hard to find artwork. I had to sure. go to museums, go to, uh, go to historical yeah, societies, yeah. track them down, spend a lot of money. For my whaling book, I spent $10,000 obtaining wow. the rights wow. for the images. Every book since then has gone down and down because okay. they're more and more public domain images sure. that are available to me in high quality resolution on the, the internet, internet either put there by organizations like I went to Brown University the John Carter Brown University library John Carter Brown library at Brown University they used to sell they had they have beautiful images from before the American Revolution of any historical topic you could possibly imagine three years ago when I wrote my last book or when the last time I accessed them I you'd have to pay a little fee they finally decided, one, everything before 1723, even a Van Gogh painting, is public domain. Even though it, wow. getting... They're, That's they're, huge. Yeah, they're yeah. public. So if you can get a good image of it, you can use it. The problem is, a lot of to get good images of a lot of great artwork, you often had to go to the museum. And I might sure, have to right. pay the Museum of Fine Arts $300 for the rights just to reproduce ah. something. So many of the images in this book were certainly out of copyright yep. and easily accessible to me either through the internet, through the John Carter Brown Library, which okay. made a policy change two years ago. They said, we spend more time filling out paperwork to give people the rights sure. to use yeah. these images. It's just easier for images. It's yeah. just, so now they give them out for free. You can download them right from their site, yeah. and you just need to credit them. Also, I went to the... That's to, so cool. I, cool. I went to the, I have privileges at Harvard libraries, so I went, I do a lot of my research there. I'm actually going there next week. I, and I go to the Houghton Rare Book Library, and I was able to get two or three books that were written in the 1700s and early 1800s, one of which that engraving came from. That is quite And so I, so I got the original books. I had my little iPhone. I took a two to three megabyte wow. picture and that's where those came from. Wow. So they cost nothing. It just took time to gather them. And the same thing with hurricanes. You can imagine hurricanes are covered by the National Weather Service and sure. government agencies. Yep. Government agencies, any images they charge, produce right? are public domain by definition. Yep. So I already have well over 100 images that I can pick from. So I was, to narrow those yeah, down. Yeah, to narrow it down. Yeah. I was telling Eric, well, as he was coming in, I was just saying that, you know, um, one of the images in the book is by Howard Pyle, who, right. in the, was it the 30s, that he did a lot of pirate... In the 20s, um, early in the 20s. 20s. He did a lot of pirate illustrations and paintings. Yeah. And so I saw this air, um, this image that Eric has about walking the plank, the big book of walking the plank, and I thought, well, I wonder, this image really struck me. I wanted to see it in color. And all I did was Google it. I found it. I downloaded it. <laughs> there were a couple more that I thought were really cool. Yeah. And I was like, this is, you know, just to sort of think about it, it's amazing. And then there's this one funny image that he has here about um, the captain, and unfortunately, oh. dressed yeah. as Johnny That's Depp. Fair, but yes. apparently, no. Johnny Depp was not giving him his photo. <laughs> well, that, no, no, I never got to that point. To get, I, I contacted Disney first, and I tried to get rights. I tried to purchase the rights to reproduce one of the movie posters from the Pirates of the Caribbean and get his image. And they wrote me a very nice legal letter basically no. saying, no, you can't have one, yeah. of the, one of the movie posters, but you can use Johnny Depp's image if you get Johnny Depp's 
permission. So I tried to track down his agent, and I had no luck. It was taking too much time. And then I found that image of a Johnny Depp impersonator at the, li- at the Library of Congress prints and photographs site, totally free. It was taken by a very famous uh, photojournalist in the early 80s. This is in, not in the 80s, not in 2000s. 2000s. This is... Uh, this is in front of the Grauman's Chinese, oh, Chinese. Yep, restaurant yeah, see the Grauman, theater, yeah. and uh, he looks just, like Johnny Depp. Like I thought it was. Yeah, that's awesome. When I was flipping through the photos the first time, I was like, "Oh, Johnny Depp." And I was like, "Wait, no, that's not Johnny Depp." I, I thought these were the, was, don't miss don't miss the images. Like, make sure you no, read yeah. the, the captions. They're pretty the, fascinating. I love this. The pirate flag, where he's got the hourglass in one hand, yeah, and, uh, and he's got the heart, yeah. <laughs> and that was a big, big image—the hourglass, kind of cool. yeah, crossbones and the well, skull. Well, the hourglass was like if you your look time's at, running out. Time's running out, and if you look at headstones yes. from that same era, you see an, yes. hour, an hourglass on a wow. lot yeah. of those. Yeah, it was a popular image. You'd ask about images. There must be. I have a thing about images, uh, partly because uh, I love artwork. Sure. If, you, if you ever came to my house, there's a lot of artwork. <laughs> partly because Tea my mother-in-law's my mother-in-law's a painter. My mom was a painter. My daughter's a very good yes, painter. Yes, you have a painting of hers yeah. there at the very so, end. So I just I just love artwork to begin with, but I think it helps you tell the story. Mm-hmm. And oh, for sure. each of my books, what has happened and my publisher knows this by now, is in the contract, I will, it says provide 30 to 50 pictures. Each of my books with Norton has had 100 or more pictures. And the same with the, and the reason I did that originally, the the smaller number, is I used to have to spend a lot of money to get these images. But now that it's become so easy for me to get wonderful images that help me tell my story that don't cost me anything, I can put in hundreds of my my publisher will balk after a while, but but for for, for the hurricane book, I'm only required to submit I think thirty to sixty images, but I'm probably going to ask to include at least a hundred yeah. because they're just amazing pictures of people and and stuff like that. So some of them are just so fascinating. Yeah, I mean, and they really help. They they put you in the. In, in that era, they, they, they help they tell do. the story. I mean, no. for people that maybe aren't as good at visualizing, you know, you get right. the idea. Yeah, I think they're huge. And I think. I wanted to ask you this. Did you go? Because now I want to plan a trip too to the Cape because now oh, I yeah, want to see the Widow Museum. See the Widow Museum. Oh, I was it's like, it's, I want to go now. Yeah. That, did you go out there and, and check it out? Or yeah. You must I, I went to the Widow Museum and I thought they did a really good job. They, 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 uh, they, they sort of perpetuate a couple of myths about Samuel Bellamy and his love life uh, coming back to Black Cape Cod. Ja- for Black Sam <laughs> Bellamy, right? But he wasn't even called that. Like I like, yeah. like I looked at everywhere, but this, yeah. is, this is a myth. A lot of stuff, you know, a lot of romantic stuff. But they do a very nice job, and it's one of the few places you can go and look through glass and see actual... Mm-hmm. Pirate treasure, I'm so going doubloons this and Let's pieces go. of eight, so and it's a really a well done museum. They spent a lot of money on That's it. It's, cool. It used to be an aquarium. There used to be. An, I went. I went oh, to yeah. that aquarium years ago in West Yarmouth. They took okay. over the aquarium building, which is like a big warehouse. It was it's like a big, big anywhere. rectangle, <laughs> and they made a very, uh, really nice museum. I liked it. I said to my husband, I was like, guess where we're going this summer? He's like, um, not the Caribbean. Where do you, where do you think we're going? I was like, That's what I was going to tell you are going to go check we're out the We're just going to the Cape. Um, now, one of the things at the very end you were talking, you talk about, um, Edward, is it teach or is it tech? Like, what is what is the proper? Well, there, there are probably seven or eight names that have been given to him. Thatch, teach, tech, 
Uh, Talking about the, Blackbeard. The, the, yeah, the one that we, the one that I saw the most in the historical record was Thatch, um, but he was commonly known yeah. as Blackbeard, and that was even during his time. I mean, he definitely was. He had a black beard, but that's about all we know about him. Everything else seems funny? to be mythology. I mean, other than the way that he died mm-hmm. when they cut his head off and put it in the bowsprit of uh, uh, well he can, if you read, yeah. if you read Eric's book you'll know why <laughs> one of the, one of the things that I thought was really interesting um, and we talked about this earlier in our segment was that archaeologists are going through the yep. queen what they believe now queen actually Anne's do revenge. believe it's the queen Anne's revenge yeah um, and that they found fragments in a in a canon, and we talked about this earlier, right. that they now believe were a book, and they tracked down the actual book, and so right. they believe he was a big reader. Uh, I, I don't agree with that assessment. Uh, my guess mm-hmm. is that it was very common back then, if you know anything about canons, you have to put in... Uh, they stole, some, but they stole books, so, right? Like they, they had books, but you, you sort of stuff them in with uh, not only just the powder, but also some cotton wadding sure. or something like that. They could have very well been using mm-hmm. the book for that purpose. Why would a book, fragments of a book, have ended up in the muzzle of a cannon? But I don't disagree that there were definitely some pirates, certainly Steed Bonnet, the gentleman pirate, but there were other pirates that absolutely could read, and it it is not out of bounds for them to have had books on board, both by capturing, taking them, plunder, or maybe some of them wanted to read. I don't think that was the they weren't necessarily the, the, all the savages. Norm. They were they, uneducated. They're right. They were, they were <laughs> snuggling around with their doubloons. Hey, you spend a lot of time at sea. You get bored. Yeah. But books were very you know, precious things back then. They weren't quite That's as, true. as yeah. easily accessible yeah. as now. So it would be considered, it could be even considered not a form of treasure, but a form of plunder, something of value. And some books, like navigation books and other books that say something about how to be on the sea, that there were books like that. There were books about how to maintain a cannon, about this. Those mm-hmm. kind of books, I wouldn't be surprised if they were on some pirate ships. But I think it's, a, it's an archaeological jump to say you <laughs> discover fragments of a book, and that means Therefore, that they, they were, were voracious reader. readers. Yeah. I like this right here. You have a, there's an illustration. In oh, yeah, the, the gunner's manual. It's the gunner's a how-to on, about using a cannon. I mean, you know. Yeah, you get the first the, time gunner's mate. You gotta know how to use a cannon. Dummies, yeah. cannons, <laughs> cannons, dummies. That's what that. That's. You know, you know, you don't think of like and, today how-to books are so prevalent, but you wouldn't think of a you know a how-to book from that. Well, that image. I was in London. I did some of my research in London. I was at the how National cool Maritime Museum, and they brought me that book. It's a very small book, the original, and that's the fold-out at the beginning of the book. <laughs> so I folded it out. I flattened it out with all these weights, uh, and I took a picture. That's an iPhone. That's my my <laughs> camera picture. That's an, yeah. I was going to say, that, oh, that oh, was really Oh, good. yeah, no, no. Uh, by, the camera on, on my phone has been a... A savior. It is uh, it really quite a few of the pictures in there. That picture is from my iPhone. Quite a few of the pictures that I wow. took were at uh, libraries that had rare books. I'd take the books and I'd spread, open them up, and I'd take a picture. Mm-hmm. And then I'd crop it, and that was it. And that was it. Done deal. Eric, what's, what's, been your, what's been your favorite? You've written, you said... 13. 13. What, wow. What's been your favorite? It's always or are your last, you like, it's <laughs> always the one I'm writing? <laughs> well, no, well, I'll make a slightly different answer. I guess my favorite is probably Leviathan, History of Whaling in America, both because it was fun to write. It was my first big book, but it's the book that was successful enough so that it enabled me to uh, quit my job. 
my wife told me. My nice. wife, my wife has a you know good job. She's very supportive, and I knew that I wanted to be a full time writer from from about two thousand two. So my wife said, "Okay, that's fine. What you need to do is you need to save a year's worth of your salary, sort of as a cushion, like a severance package." Okay. And so I started working, and I got a decent advance for Leviathan. But then Leviathan came out, and it did uh, very well. And I got a two-book contract, a two-book deal that gave me a pretty big chunk of money. And my wife turned to me one night. We were watching House on TV <laughs> with Hugh Laurie solving another medical mystery. Medical mystery. <laughs> and my wife, after the show was over, turned to me. And it was in July of 2007. And she said, you can quit your job. I said, what? Goes, I'm sorry. Excuse she me. Goes, yeah. she goes, you can quit your job. You, you put enough money aside, and I, I'm willing to take that risk. Wow. And so that's when it happened. Nice. And about a, three weeks later, two or three weeks later, I quit. And it was hard to quit. If I could sure. go back and do it over again, I might have worked one more year because I could have socked away a lot more money. Just a little bit more money. But, uh, it's all but, about the money, Zarek. It's, it's all about the money. All the money well, I've got two kids in college. That's right. <laughs> that's right. What were, you, what were you doing, if you don't mind me asking? I, I was working up in Gloucester at the National Marine oh, Fisheries okay. Service. And there's a funny That's story there. Cool. When they hired, I had no fisheries background. I just wanted to come back to New England. My wife wanted to be back in Marblehead where she grew up. So I looked for any job that had an environmental connection. And I remember when they interviewed me, one of the questions they asked is, where do you want to be in five years? And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very okay. honest person. Yeah. And I said, I want to be a full-time writer, because I already thought about that at that time. I said, I want to be a full-time writer. And they all laughed. Well, four and a half years later, I, I resigned. You asked. <laughs> I was up front, so you should have seen this coming. <laughs> well, I, I didn't share a lot of my, my personal life with people okay. at work, except for one of my close friends. And in fact, when Leviathan came out, this is a funny story, Leviathan came out, I was still working at, at NIMPS. And you hadn't told anybody. I hadn't told, no, I, I really, nobody, they knew I wrote books, nobody yeah. had seen any of them. Well, the Wall Street Journal reviewed Leviathan, and the guy, one of the guys in the enforcement branch at NIMPS was reading the Wall Street Journal this morning. He marched over <laughs> to my cubicle. He said, this is you. And I said, yes. And he got mad at me. He goes, why didn't you tell us? I said, what do you mean? I never talked to you before. And why am I going to tell? Why and, and, and I remember my, bu my boss, when she saw the book, I gave her a copy of the book. I always remember her comment. She goes, I knew you wrote books, but I didn't think you wrote this kind of a book, you know, a pop, a, a real book. Did you do something real? <laughs> no. So what's, what's, so what's your advice to, to people, you know, who want to write? Because you you right. write nonfiction, right? Mm -hmm. And and sometimes that's I wrote a murder mystery once, but my my agent didn't like it. Never went anywhere. I may I may go back to it my later on. Uh, ambitions. <laughs> but so what would you what what advice would you give? This, is sound, this sounds sappy, but it's true. And I just had a conversation with my daughter the other day who was thinking about being a writer or maybe a screenplay. She wants to go out, out to Hollywood and she wants to go out to California. She's a senior at NYU right now, and that's sort of her area. Okay. So uh, the, advice, the advice I give anybody, um, and again, I, this is going to be sappy because you hear this from your parents all the time, <laughs> is I said you've got to accept, not only accept but embrace failure and get used to it oh, and yeah. have determination mm -hmm. and work through it because I have a file cabinet full of rejection letters sure. from agents from publishers and uh, even for Leviathan 25 mm -hmm. publishers read the proposal only three of them were interested uh, we got letters from other other publishers that basically said oh nobody's interested in this blah 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 and you know that's fine it's just their opinion yep if you get a bad review or whatever you've got to 
you've, you've got to have, especially to be a writer, you've got to have the drive and determination yep. to sit down in the morning. It's a lonely look, profession. Look at, it a, look at your screen. Yeah. It is very lonely. And I'm sort of an introvert, so that helps. But uh, I like human contact, yeah. too. So, uh, but it's really uh, it's having the drive, determination, some skill. You don't have to be the greatest writer in the world. I know I'm not. You just have to be able to fight through everything that's going to happen on the way to your goal. And even if you do all that, even if you're a skilled writer, you have good ideas, and you're a really hard worker, there's a very high percentage chance yeah. that you are not going to make it, depending mm -hmm. on what your definition of make it is. Sure. I know writers, I know a few writers who make, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars a year consistently. That's like 0.01% yeah. of writers. I know a lot of writers... It's like being an elite athlete. Right. I know a lot of writers who... Um, are very good, write good books, and they may make $10,000 a year. They can't support themselves on that. And everything in between. So I'm thankful that I had success, but another element is I could not have done this and had the lifestyle I want if I hadn't worked for many years sure. at a regular, fairly high-paying yep. job, and because I worked for a bunch of different places, and have a wife who is supportive and who also works and have two fam my both families yeah. Who are supportive? I could, I'm going to give them total credit because <laughs> I could not have two kids in college and pay the bills yeah. on my salary. No. If yeah. I was single, I could I could live off of what I earn, but I wouldn't be living in Marblehead in a nice house. Yeah. I'd be living some other town yeah. in an apartment. So I, I, I hopefully I'm not being maudlin, but no, you, no, you, I you think can't. It's you, you it's know, you got to work hard, have, to have a partner, have support. Yep. And maybe lightning will will strike. And if it does, <laughs> if my, my well, my agent always has advice because he's had a number of uh, writers who have made had stratospheric success. He's had a lot of writers who, who haven't. He says his advice is always the same. If you have a big success, let's say you sell four hundred thousand copies of your book, you sell four hundred thousand copies of a hardcover book. You you're pulling in over a million dollars. Wow. And uh, you have taxes to pay. But I'd be it, on the street corner but, selling that book. <laughs> but but if, you, if you make that kind of money, he said, put it away. Yeah. Because lightning is not likely to strike exactly. twice. That might be your only. That might, yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, a, it's a crazy profession. It's a crapshoot. It's a crapshoot. <laughs> so, of course, we're called Book Nation. We want to ask Eric, what, what? What, are, what are some of the things you like to read? And what's on, what are you reading yeah. now? What's on your nightstand? Oh, um, Here's another secret of my life. Since we're I, learning so much about it, <laughs> no. well, 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 since I, I write books on topics I don't know a lot about, and I'm not a very fast reader, believe it or not, I'm a decent reader. Almost everything I read has to be about the topic I'm working on at the time, so I can get enough information to write okay. the book. So I've read read plenty of hurricane books <laughs> lately, or books related to that, or little pieces. Like yesterday, I needed to write something about Edward R. Murrow, okay. you know, a great journalist, sure. because he actually went up in a hurricane hunter flight and wrote something about it in 1954. Cool. So I sort of hunt and pecked through three biographies of Edward R. Murrow. I don't read the whole thing. Yeah. I, I take <laughs> I take what I need. But in terms of reading books that are outside of what I'm working on, I rely on, every once in a while I'm asked to blurb a book. I just was asked to blurb a book. I just finished it yesterday, a good, very good book, called The Vagabonds, about the hmm. trips that Henry Ford and um, Thomas Edison 
and Harvey Firestone cool. took in the early 1900s. And it was fascinating. It's written by Jeff Gwynn, the guy wow. who wrote Manson. And, okay. And, uh, that would be fascinating. He wrote the... But anyway, so that's... I just finished that last night. And I wrote a book. I read a book on beavers. I, I quote... I blurbed. I read a book on a... a uh, a boat, uh, a boat that sank in the middle of the Atlantic in 1854 that I blurbed. I read a book on bees that I blurbed <laughs> recently. Wow. I read a book on uh, a whaling captain that became a slaving uh, captain. Mm. He became a slaver, which was fascinating. So that's the way that I get in my, you know, non what yeah. I'm working on reading. I wish I had more time. I wish cat. Oh, here's oh, a, here's a good example. So Just, when you're on the beach in the summer, you, you're you're reading. Somebody oh, oh, here's here, here's a, bees, well, bees. here's a funny story. Yeah, I, I spend a lot of time on the beach and I read stuff, but also I go down to near uh, where Fort Sewell is yep. in Marblehead, and there's a little cove there. Yep, and during the summer, I will often be down there in my bathing suit, standing in two feet of water with a book, reading. In fact, a lot of people in town know know me as that. No, because I love being outside, and I just walk around this little cove, and almost always I'm reading books that relate to what I'm working on. But but, but this morning, I have to write, I wrote a section just recently about Bernard Vonnegut and trying to seed clouds, seed a hurricane to divert it. It was sort of part about that. Bernard Vonnegut's brother is Kurt Vonnegut. Kurt Vonnegut, yeah. Kurt Vonnegut wrote a book called Cat's Cradle, yes. in which there's a substance called Ice Nine that can instantly freeze the entire ocean. I don't. I ruined it for everybody. Sorry. But, but any, anyway. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Anyway, anyway, I had, I had, I'm, I'm, I wrote a little section on that. So I got out Cat's Cradle. I read it many, many years ago. This morning, before I came here, awesome. I was reading Cat's Cradle. Oh, that's great. That's so. cool. That's cool. So I want to uh, make a little confession. So I have actually, it's funny, Eric's name sounded so familiar to me. And I'm like, why do I know this name? And it's not because I had read Mary's story, which um, was in the Marblehead Reporter. But it was because I have one of your books on my Amazon wish list. Oh, great. And I thought it was so funny. I was like, I want to read, because when I first, when it first came out, it's the one about um, when America met China. Oh, when America first met China. And I thought, this sounds fascinating. Like, this is absolutely, and I don't know why. I never actually (laughs) got it, but now I'm like, I have to get it now, because now I think, I think, again, it's one of those things, like, I thought the topic was fascinating when I read the blurb, and then Mm -hmm. I thought... It's it's going to be a history thing, and I'm not going to have time to slog through through a lot of right. facts and details. But now that I've read Black Flags, Blue Waters, it's I'm pretty easy. It's a pretty easy read, and it, it'll remind you a lot of things because it's about like the it's like the Peabody Essex Museum rolled into a book to some extent. The older Peabody Essex Museum, and 21 of the images in that book came from the Peabody Essex Museum, and it, it's just a fascinating story about opium tea. And money again. Money's cool. the big issue. So that does not really sound. I mean, it does. Chris yeah. and I are both like massive tea drinkers. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. You so. get plenty of history of tea. I was in there. So I'm really excited. I was like, I push yeah, that up salt, on my net. So. Put that in my car. So, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so we just uh, we really want to thank you for yes. coming oh. and, thank you so much and speaking for, with thank us. You. Spending the morning with us. This Thanks is great. for having me. Yeah. This was fabulous. And I'm, I'm excited for this, and I'm really excited though for the hurricane book. <laughs> Which There's your first. But I do. Nobody should get that done already. When your agent yeah. sells it out, sends it out to Chris. She'll read it. She'll blurb it for you. Okay. So we want to thank everybody for joining us, and Eric J. Dolan, and I'm Nell Coakley. I'm Chris Stevens, and this is Book Nation.